I'll invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. We're going to start a new study today through the book of 2 Timothy as we um, have gone through 1 Timothy and Titus through the summer, uh, Titus through the summer, and now going to 2 Timothy. Um, I'm Charles Uptain. If you don't know who I am, I'm the executive pastor here. And um, if you're a guest with us, we're glad you're here. I forgot to mention that in the, in the welcome in the beginning, but uh, we would love to get some information about you later on. Uh, there's a couple of cabinets out there or uh, countertops, and there'll be a pastor out there, and we'd love to meet you and I just get to know you a little better after the service. Um, but I'm Charles Uptain. I'm the executive pastor, and our pastor, senior pastor Paul Thompson, uh, is not here today. Most of you may know this by now. Um, he had to have uh, surgery last night, emergency eye surgery in Birmingham. Uh, and so he is still there, he and Cecilia, and um, he'll go back this morning for a checkup before he can come back to us here in Dothan. So we're praying for him, and I'm praying that all goes well. And uh, so I get the privilege of speaking to you and talking through this text today. So looking forward to that. So if you would, let's pray together and uh, prepare ourselves for this. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us um, through the prophets and the apostles. And now, Lord, we have it where we can study it and you reveal yourself to us through it. Lord, help us never lose glimpse of that, of the gift of the word, the truth, the absolute truth that we find, because it is you, it is yours. So, fathers, we now open these pages and look at a letter that was written um, to a pastor about a church, that, Lord, we also see that we can glean and learn from it, and how we as your church today, respond to our culture, how we guard the faith, how we teach doctrine, how we hold truth high, and how we stay on mission for you. Lord, thank you for this time together. I pray your spirit will speak through me, and I pray, Lord, that we will be open to doing the word that we hear today. We praise you and we thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a little bit of background, uh, back through 1 Timothy and then uh, even Titus, what we call the pastoral letters or the epistles, pastoral epistles. Um, remember in 1 Timothy, we've looked through it of, this is a letter from Paul, the Apostle Paul, to Timothy. And also then Titus is a letter from Paul to Titus, two of what we might even call Paul's protégés, or people that learned from him, who went on missionary journeys with him, and then as churches were planted and started, he left these two men uh, in different places to lead those churches, to guard the doctrine, and to really be about the business of church. And so he is writing back to them, we've seen that in 1 Timothy, writing back, telling Timothy to guard the doctrine, to be careful of those things that might come in warning about false doctrine. And he's really telling him also how to set up the church. He tells Titus the same things. So we've looked at those two sides of Timothy and Titus, and now we come to 2 Timothy. And I think it's interesting that we did it in this order because normally you would think the order would be, well, we're going to do 1 Timothy, we're going to do 2 Timothy, and we're going to do Titus. But actually, as we look at the word and look at when the historical side, when this happened, when uh, Paul wrote these letters, this is actually probably the better way to look at them. Because in chronological order, 
Paul wrote Timothy, 1 Timothy and Titus probably around the same time together when he still had freedom to go throughout and he was on his missionary journeys. He had left them in those cities as I mentioned and now he is writing to them from that standpoint. 2 Timothy doesn't happen then. 2 Timothy comes later in Paul's life. It comes at the end of Paul's life. It doesn't happen at the same time, as I said, as 1 Timothy and Titus. But instead, this letter is Paul's, the Apostle Paul's final letter. So when you think about that and when you hear that, that this is his final letter, what does that bring to mind to you? Do you think about where Paul is during this? Remember, Paul is martyred. Paul is again imprisoned. He's been in prison before, but now this one is final. So he's in a prison. He is in a, a dark dungeon. He is stuck with no escape. He is there seeing that this is where he will end his days. He can see the imminence of his last days coming, but he doesn't know how long he has. And it's interesting that we see in here in the end of 2 Timothy, we'll read that he actually tells Timothy to hurry to him. Basically, come before winter. In other words, I don't think I've got very long if you're going to come visit me. But even with that, Paul asked him to bring with him his letters and especially his parchments. What is Paul still doing at the very end in this cold, dark prison? He is still studying. He is still learning. He is still asking the Lord to bless him through his studies. And so even at this last minute, in this final chapter, final letter that he's going to write, we see that Paul is thinking about what he can learn from God and who Jesus is. But in that same time, I think we can also see that Paul in this letter has a preoccupation. He is preoccupied with what will come of these churches. We've kind of seen that in other letters like 1 Timothy, and we've seen it to the other letters he's written to the churches, that he's, he's wanting them to stay true to doctrine. But now we see it even more clearly. He, in this letter, is worried, I would say worried, somewhat of how the church is going to, what it's going to become. And in some ways, we can think of him thinking about it as this is a transitional period for them. This is going from when the apostles were the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and they were setting up churches to now we're going to the next generation of leadership. These are not the same men. And how will the church respond to that? Is the church going to be able to move past those first apostles, that foundational group of men, to now having other leaders that are leading well, that are leading with the gospel, will it survive? Will the churches continue? Gordon Fee writes this in his commentary about these three letters. He says, if we really take seriously 1 Timothy 1.3 as the reason for Paul's writing, which is about urging Timothy and Titus to guard the faith and the teaching, if we take that seriously and look at the whole three letters through that prism, we see that this is the concern that Paul has is, will this continue? Will the church be able to continue in the way it's going in this transitional period? Something else we see in this letter is we see, like we've seen in 1 Timothy, that this letter is personal. This is something that Paul is writing to a person that he knows well. And so he's going to give Timothy advice. He's going to give Timothy instructions to pass on to the church. So in one way, it's personal. One way, it's, it's to a pastor. But then also, because it's to a pastor, we can see that it is more than just personal, that it's also written as a congregational. It's written to the churches. And so Paul's expecting Timothy to use the doctrine, the teachings that he gives them, and pass them along to the church. And the church take up these same 
kind of teachings and use them. So, yes, it's personal in nature because he knows him well and he wants to give him something exactly for him, but also at the same time, he knows that it's going to be passed along to the congregation, which is good for us because it lets us be able to then take it in our context, in our situation, our culture, and take those same instructions and use them to the glory of God in the church. And then the last thing I would say about context before we dive into our verses today is that this content is universal. In other words, it's not just for our local body of believers, but it's also for the universal church. It's for Christians everywhere that they understand the importance of holding true to the doctrine that we have, to, to being able to fight off false arguments and be able to stand true and set up the churches that we are a part of, the congregation, are setting up in a way that would honor Christ as the head of this body. So it's universal. So it's, it's not written to us, but it is written for us as well. So now with those context clues as we start this letter, I want us to just look at the first seven verses today of 2 Timothy and as we read these together, I want you to think about the heart of Paul coming out in this letter to Timothy and where he is as he writes this. And have that in your mind as you read the words that Paul writes here in 2 Timothy. So here it is, 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The letter begins, as most of Paul's letters does, with this greeting, where he identifies himself by name, but also he puts something associated with that that is his identity. What is Paul's identity that he is reminding Timothy of? In the very first, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. That is the identity that Paul wants to be remembered as. As we think about this idea of being an apostle, who are the apostles? Well, we know that Jesus called 12 to himself, and he gave them the commission to go and spread the word of truth about the kingdom and those were his apostles, but also Paul now says he is an apostle. We think back to our study of Acts, and we remember in that that Paul was called by Jesus, just as the twelve were. That he met him on the Damascus Road, and Jesus called him to himself to go and to preach the gospel to us, to the Gentiles. And so Paul says, I am an apostle. I am called and commissioned to do this task that I have by the will of God, as he continues, by the will of God, the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. So what is this promise that he speaks of? I think we have to look it back at, at where we are. Remember 
who Paul is at this moment. He is in a dungeon. He is seeing the end of his life, and he is thinking about the promise of life that really is to come for him. And so when he thinks about the will of God, he doesn't think about his normal situations that he's in, the circumstances he's in. No, he's thinking about his future home. He's thinking about the promise that God gave him of that future home. And so that's why he writes, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about his few days on earth. He's talking about the life he has because of Jesus. And so the great reason that he has there is for the promise of life for all who receive Jesus. So as we continue on in his greeting, the next, of course, he says who he is. He gives his identity. He says his, why his purpose is, what he does, is because of the will of God for the promise. And then he, of course, mentions Timothy. Well, who is Timothy? As we've looked at 1 Timothy, I want to remind you of some things that come from Acts 16, 1 through 5, when we studied the book of Acts. You may remember some things as Timothy came on the scene, as Paul's in the middle of his missionary journeys. And then also, through our 1 Timothy study, what did Paul say specifically to Timothy? So here's some things for, for you to write. First is, he was converted under Paul's ministry. He was converted to Christianity under Paul's ministry. So he becomes a new believer, and Paul has the opportunity to disciple him, to grow him in the faith, not by just teaching him things, but taking him along with him to do the ministry that Paul is called to do, to give to the Gentiles. Also, the second thing is, Timothy is thought of and remembered and prayed for by the apostle. So Paul didn't just leave his disciple behind and and move on to someone else, get Titus and take him. No, he continued to pray for those that he left in those positions because he cared for them. It was a personal relationship that Paul had with Timothy. Next, he was a possessor of a genuine faith. We learn this in Acts, that he had a genuine faith. We also learn, and we'll see this in these verses down a little bit lower, that he comes from a godly home. It speaks of his grandmother and his mother and their faith. And then the last thing is that he is spiritually gifted to serve in the way that God has him to serve in the church. This gift that he talks about flame, putting it, or, or flaming up in him is the gift that the Spirit has given him to do the ministry that he's called to do. So he is spiritually gifted to do the things that God has called him to do. And we're the same way. As God's children, he has gifted us by his spirit to fulfill the roles each of us have in this church body and also in the universal church of seeing the kingdom come. We have to do our part in that. So fan into flame. Let's think about this phrase that we see here. Why would Paul, I have a question. Why would Paul begin his letter by encouraging Timothy to fan into flame the gift that he had been given? Why is this most important? I told you that 1 Timothy starts with Paul talking about um, warning him to stay true to doctrine and not allow false doctrine in the church. And that's kind of his purpose. Well, what is the purpose here that Paul gives Timothy? Why would he mention this? And I say we look down into what he says at the end of this passage in verse 7 here. It says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and, the self-control, and self-control. I think that idea of the spirit, not of fear, may give us a clue to really why Paul felt he needed to write this letter to Timothy. 
I think we'll see in Timothy's life some timidity. We'll see in him some shyness, some passiveness that would not have characterized the Apostle Paul. And so I think you see him here saying to fan in the flame because he wants him to be more bold with the gospel because he knows the ministry that he's called to. So the charge given to Timothy and the responsibility that it entails, the things that he's going to have to do, they exceed, far exceed his natural abilities. So the things that Timothy has inside of himself, his ability to talk, his ability to lead, his ability to organize, whatever those things were are not enough for him to do the task that God has given to him. And I hope you find yourself in the same boat. I hope you have found yourself that you are doing what God has called you to the point of that you need him or you will not be able to do what God's called you to do. That's a good, healthy spot for us spiritually to be in because it means we're relying on him and him through us instead of what we can do ourselves. We should be looking for ways to be above our natural gifts and abilities and letting God use us in the spiritual sense and, and relying on that and knowing that the only way it gets done is through that spiritual giftedness that he has given us. I'll give you some examples of how I see uh, Timothy being, uh, being not up for this when it comes to the natural abilities. Number one, he was relatively young. You remember this, you know the verses in 1 Timothy 4.12, 2 Timothy 2.22 thinks about, talks about his age. Don't let anyone look down on you because of your age. Those kind of things. So we know Timothy is young. And so youth sometimes doesn't get all the respect it deserves as age, right? So he's young. Number two, he's prone to illness. We read this. Also in 1 Timothy 5.23, where Paul tells him to take a little wine for his stomach because he has ailments. So he's not a well man all the time. Natural abilities does not allow him to be physically healthy. And third, he likely, and we don't know this for exact, for sure, but it looks like this in how Paul writes to him, that he just really doesn't have the personality that is fit for someone that is trying to pastor a church and lead the church at Ephesus. Whatever that would mean. Because Paul continually encourages him, continually boldly tells him to be bold and to trust God when he gets beyond what he can do. And all those things kind of point to us feeling like Timothy seems like a pastor who may not have the right temperament, so to speak, to lead in the way he needs to. So how I would see this then is so like a good coach or a good mentor, Paul sees the deficiencies that Timothy has. He knows the areas of weakness in Timothy. But also, as a good mentor and a good coach, he also sees the potential in Timothy. He says he sees where Timothy can grow. He sees where Timothy can be used by God and go beyond what he can do. And that's what he's going to coach up in this letter. That's where he's going to coach him to do more than he can do. And so he does that here in a few ways. So I give you those. The first one is he looks back at his godly heritage. Just as Paul says, if you look back in verse 3, Paul says, as did my ancestors. So Paul looks back at his lineage at his generations that came before him and sees them being a part of his, him having faith, a part of him growing into who he is, even though he was sending him down a wrong road before Jesus showed up. He still sees that godly inheritance behind him, and now he also points the same thing to Timothy, that he had a grandmother. He had a, a mother who taught him the faith. It says in verse 5, 
I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. He had a spiritual heritage. Next, he had a sincere faith. A sincere faith. He had a genuine faith. This faith seems to uh, carry along with it more than just he believed in God, but also the idea of faithfulness. By this point in Paul's ministry and his relationship with Timothy as he's at the end of his life, he can see Timothy's faithfulness at Ephesus. He can see his faithfulness in those missionary journeys. And so when he says he has a genuine, sincere faith, it means that he also sees him obeying God and being faithful with the things he's been given. So he has a sincere faith, and he's faithful. But that still would not be enough. There's one more thing that Paul points to, to say, here's how I'm coaching you up. Here's how I think you can do what your natural abilities might not let you to do. And that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He would need the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to do what God requires effectively and faithfully to the end. He can't do it on his own. So we see those verses in verse, starting in verse 6. For the reason I remind you to flame, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I think it's important here that we realize that that spirit that, that um, Paul is talking about is not just an attitude. It's not just a... It's not just a feeling or an emotion that Timothy has that Paul's pointing to. No, he's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about a spirit within him, an indwelling of the spirit that allows him to do things that are beyond his natural abilities. So he points to the Holy Spirit as the way that Timothy can really do what he's called to do in Ephesus. So now, as we broke down the passage in that way, and we see Timothy, I mean, see Paul in such a personal way coaching Timothy and, and starting this letter in a way to urge him to do more than he can do himself, knowing what's to come, to know the short life that Paul lives. And I've just kind of given you the history of this relationship. Now I want to say, what is that to us? How do we take that? How do we take these verses and apply them to us? in 2023? How do we take it as a believer, a young believer, an old believer, a mature believer, an immature believer? How do we take it and how do we fan the flame that God has given us so that we can do the work that he's called each of us to do? And so I want to ask some questions and let you think about your own life, your Christian walk, how you are struggling, how you are winning, how are you living out what Christ has called you to do? First is, biblical Christianity is a perpetual transition. In my family, community, and beyond, will I perpetuate the faith? That's your question. So like we talked about the transition of the church, how things constantly change, that's how things constantly are in church life. But are you going to also then, in a different way, going to perpetuate the faith. The Oxford Dictionary defines perpetuates like this. To preserve, 
something valued from oblivion or extinction. Think about that. So the definition of to perpetuate for us is to preserve something away from it being extinct. Do you think of the church in those terms? You know, we know from Scripture very clearly that God is going to take care of His church. That Christ is the head of the church and and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said that. We know that the church is in God's hands. It will not be extinct. But do we also realize and acknowledge that the way that it's going to keep from extinction is you and me. God is going to use me and he's going to use you to be the ones who pass on this faith. Do we keep that in our mind as we think about perpetuating the gospel? That it's only one generation away from not being here anymore. Now, of course, like I said, God will perpetuate it. God will keep it from existence. But he's using us, he's calling us to the serious work of being faithful with doctrine, true to the word, and being about boldly proclaiming the gospel to the world around us. Are you doing that? Are you keeping that mindset when we walk through our life together as Christians? The next question. Will you give the priceless gift of a godly heritage? Speaking to parents in the room, do you understand that God has given you children and they are your most, uh, most um, important, the priority that you should place on discipling them? You're with them the most. They're the closest to you. They see your life like no one else does as a parent. Do they see Christ in you? Do you understand that you are the one, as a parent, that are passing on a godly heritage to your children? We as a church come alongside of you, Zach in the children's ministry, Joyce in the preschool ministry, Reagan in the student ministry, and they offer lots of ways for your children to be involved and to learn scripture and grow in their faith, but they need you more than they need our ministries. They need their godly heritage from you as parents. And then I speak to the whole church family because we are a family. There are children that are ours around us that we need to work. We need to be in children and students in preschool helping pass that godly heritage along as a grandparent or even as a single person to the next generation, to those who call Calvary their home. We need to pass along the godly heritage like Timothy had and like even Paul mentions uh, in these verses. Next, do I have the support of faithful praying brothers and sisters? And do I give that support? Do I know, let me ask this question. Do I know, do you know, the prayer requests of your church family? Do you pray for them? Do you know how to pray for those people that are to your right and your left today? Do you know what they need? And do you tell them what you need? I'll give a plug for Sunday night. We are, um, right now, we've been in doing one Sunday night a month. And we've taken intentional times in those services to have times of prayer that we're not... Um, 
general prayers. Not we're just prayers about something like the church in general, but instead being very specific. Praying for a couple who's getting married. Praying for people in our church that are sick. Praying for a team that's about to go on the mission field. That's what our Sunday night prayer service, part of our prayer, part of our service, the prayer portion is about. It's about us as a church family hearing requests from each other and offering those up to God and interceding for one another. And we think that is so valuable. The elders and staff think that's so valuable that we want to do that every week. And so starting in September, if you have not heard, we will be doing every Sunday night a family worship service. And I'm not talking family as in me and my kids. I'm talking church family. I'm talking about ways that we understand one another and see each other's burdens, and we pray for one another, we hear the word again together, we sing songs together as a church family. We want your children to come with you. We want you to see that as an important part of of being a part of Calvary's family is praying together. And so if you can say now, no, I I don't know prayer requests of my church really, really well, I ask you to come tonight. We're going to have five different specific areas that we pray for. Someone will stand and pray for a specific need that this church family has. Join us, pray with us, and then continue that prayer time throughout the week for your church family. The next thing, will I be timid, reserved, reticent, and fearful with my Christian faith, effectively hiding it from my family, friends, classmates, and those other people that I come in contact with every week. I'll give you a minute to write all that down. Will I be timid, reserved, reticent, fearful, and effectively hiding this faith that I've been given by the Lord? Or will I tend to the fire that God has put in my heart? Will I tend to it? Will I use, I'm sorry, will I stoke it? And will I be using it to display God to those all around me? Just as Paul told Timothy to fan the flame, we all should be looking for ways to fan our flame, to be a brighter light for the Lord, to be someone that God can use in this community, in our workplace, in our family, and even with one another to see our works of the Holy Spirit inside of us, brighter and brighter and brighter. Are you doing that? The next thing I think we can learn from this passage and apply to our own lives is this. Will I discover my gifts by doing or serving and then use those gifts, trusting that God will accomplish something through them? Part of your role as a church member, as a member of this body, is to complete the works of ministry that God's called us to. We do that together. The staff can't do that by ourselves. Just the people who go on mission trips can't do that by themselves. It takes all of us as members of this body to do the work of ministry that God has called us specifically to do. Are you putting your gifts to work? Are you learning what your gifts are by doing work? By going on a mission trip? By serving with in one of the family age-graded ministries? By singing in the choir, by all those different ways are you using the gifts God has given you to do the works of ministry he wants this church to do? That's the question. And the last application is, will I reject limitations, 
put on me by myself and others and instead rely on God to give me whatever I need to do whatever he wants with my life? Am I going to say, no, I can't do that. I'm just not good at that. Or am I instead going to say, God, what do you want me to do? And even better than that, am I going to look around this church body and am I going to look at the needs that there are and try to meet them? Am I going to look in the community and see where there's needs that can be, uh, the gospel can be infused? Am I going to go try to meet them and pray that God gives me the giftedness, the boldness to be successful for him in the kingdom? That's the question that I think Paul is urging Timothy with. Don't rely on yourself. Rely on me to do the things I've called you to do in my church. I end with this quote. God can achieve his purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance on them. All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependence on their natural abilities and resources. And that's good news for me because I have some deficiencies. How about you? That God is willing to take our weakness and turn it into strength for him. I said I was done, but I'm not. I got one more line there. A word to those who might think that their fire is going out, or even if they have a fire. I leave you with this that actually comes from tonight's sermon, since I get to preach both times. So this is kind of like a precursor in a whet your appetite moment. Take these two things into account. The spark of our flame doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from heaven. So it is God's spark that he will kindle. If you are God's child, he will kindle his flame. You're not going to go out. Be encouraged by that. Secondly, he preserves the spark for the glory of his name. He loves to use us who feel weak, who don't think we have much to offer. He loves to use us to his glory. So don't think that he won't use you, even if you feel like you have just a little light. He promises for his glory to use you. Be encouraged by that. So as I, let's say, as I close, I think Paul's words to Timothy are encouraging and exhorting, and I hope they are the same to you today, that you will take stock of who you are Reflect on those questions that we went over. Maybe look at them later and think about how you are being used by God and what you could be used by God if you'd open your hands to Him in your life. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us that you, you really don't need anything we have to offer. You give everything we need to do your work. We are pleasing to you because of your Son. So Lord, we stand before you wanting to be really soldiers in your army. 
here to do the work that you've called us to do, boldly proclaiming the gospel, not in our own strength, not in our own abilities, even though there were some gifted people in this room. But we stand here ready because you have promised us that you will give us what we need to accomplish the task you put before us. We don't understand how you use us as your means, God, but you do. And we're thankful that you value us as a part of your kingdom and a part of the work you're doing in this world to make it right again, to restore it. And Lord, we want to be, we want to be open. We want to be obedient. And we thank you for the words of Paul to encourage us in that way. Lord, may you be glorified through our actions. May you be glorified in this church. And thank you for your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.